All right, here we go. We're small and mighty today, praying for our COVID brothers and sisters to be healed. The God of the Bible has come to us to make a way for his holy and perfect spirit to live in us and change us from the inside. Our slow work of transformation as we leave our destructive ways of living and live in the heart of God is ultimately his doing. We participate. But we need to tell the world about this God. A God that does not put a heavy yoke on us and heavy burdens, but lifts them. The Bible is absolutely unique because unlike any other religious text, there are no human heroes. In fact, every leader in the Bible is transparent with their flaws, especially the ones who wrote about their lives. Think about that. The ones that even had the power to write about their own lives are writing about their flaws instead of making them sound like they are incredible leaders. There is only one perfect hero in the biblical text, and that is God himself. That gives the Bible great credibility. The Bible is the only religious text that declares that the God of the universe who created all things and who sustains all things actually became a human being actually decided to walk with us in our pain, who became a poor man, not a celebrity or a powerful military leader, who actually submitted himself to our death and then resurrected from that death. It's the core of the story that we are to represent in this world. It's the beginning of this big picture summary-like section that starts the book of Acts, right? where it says, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. The main authors and the original leaders of the Christian faith, the authors of the New Testament, they were martyred for their proclamation in their generation that Jesus was the one true God who died to save us from our sin, who then resurrected from death to actually give us real hope and promise that he has the power to resurrect us after we die. Their message is our message, that it's only in Jesus that we can find our healing, our joy, and an abundant kind of life that will actually last beyond the grave, that through Jesus, you can experience the power and love of God. Because they insisted on this, the the OGs, the original followers of Jesus who wrote the New Testament of our Bible, because they insisted that this is a reality they saw and they heard and they touched, they had to live their lives as fugitives in poverty and eventually were killed because of their testimony. Think about that, church. They did not spread a religion that made them wealthy and famous. They, their lives were shortened because of what they spread, not lengthened. That gives their message credibility. In fact, Paul, one of the main founders and writers of the New Testament in our Bibles, chose to actually leave his celebrity, wealthy, and successful status to become one of the hunted and persecuted ambassadors of Christianity. He, too, was martyred, and trained psychologists have analyzed his writings and can find no trace of mental illness or delusion that he's been accused of. He saw the risen Jesus. And he made his life purpose to be an ambassador of God for our Bibles. Church, we can be solid on the foundations of our faith. You do not live on shaky ground. And because of this, it should compel us to share with people who this God is. 
And if they reject our message, we kindly move on. And if they receive it, we teach them and show them all the glories of our wonderful God. Can I get an amen? Mm. I remember we just finished up our summer life group series. It's such a joy. Uh, we were in uh, 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 the group that I was in. We were studying First John, and it was such a joy. I think it was two or three weeks ago. This young lady came in. She had never been to our church. She was invited by a friend, and we found out that she had used to go to church, but then had kind of basically wandered away from God, and it had been years. And uh, you know, we had we were around a table. And we had the Bible passage on a piece of paper, and we had the markers out and the pens, and we were talking it out. And she was, like, drawing little designs and talking and participating. And I kept commenting, like, man, you got some good artwork. And she kept commenting, this is an incredible Bible study. And at the end of it, uh, I was in the smaller group praying with her and, and, and her friend. And she just kept saying, man, the Bible is awesome. I forgot how amazing the Bible is. God spoke to me today. And I just made me like, that's right. The Bible is awesome. If you want to get God to speak to you, just get in your Bible. And it was so good for me to see this fresh person who just had not been around the Bible in three years to just go, God. And I mean, she was the one in tears as we're praying for her. I mean, like God just spoke to her through the word of God. Another question that some of us may have when it comes to us sharing our faith, telling other people about Jesus, some of us may have heard this around or feeling it personally, well, how can I impose my beliefs on another person? If I tell that people that Jesus alone is God and the source of all life, and what they're building their life on is not going to satisfy like Jesus, Am I not sort of in the same stream of those historical colonialists from Europe to the Americas? How can I participate in something that is so awful? Let's try to talk about this a little bit. I'm not going to be able to cover it all in just one little teaching today. And it's a messy, difficult subject uh, to even wade into when you understand the history of colonization from Europe to the Americas. It is horrendous. The stories that I have read just make my stomach churn over and over again. And sadly, so much of the European conquering of the indigenous people that lived in these lands and down in Central America and South America and Mexico, right? So much of them bringing slaves over from Africa, it was actually done in the name of Jesus. They said they were doing it in the name of Jesus. They had a gun in one hand and they had a Bible in the other. And that is horrendous. How much... They claimed to be an ambassador of Jesus and were an ambassador of the devil in their actions. But then when you look into the details of all this, of all this horrible history, and so many people don't want to look into all the details. They kind of get the history from like a one-minute summary mashup on a video feed on their Instagram. Some horrible stats and then a summary, and that's all that, right? And, you know, I mean, church, you all know, I mean, I'll keep saying this, but we're losing intelligence with every swipe. I just want, you know, you just, we're just losing brain cells with every swipe. We're just getting dumber and dumber. We are ironically becoming more arrogant as we become less wise. And then even those who claim to have actually read up on the history only seem to represent parts of it. But a deep dive into the history reveals that clearly, 
the true motivation for the expansion and the colonization of, of the America and India and parts of Africa was purely the expansion of the kingdoms of this world. It was purely greed and power driven. I mean, you just, for anybody to argue against that is just shocking to me when you look in the details of this history. It was purely about expanding and representing the kingdoms of this world, right? There's a lot of talk about doing everything in the name of God, but the heart and the actions were clear. We are going to expand the power of England and Spain and France. We are going to make our families very rich and powerful. That was it. And this has always been the most heinous sin of rebellious human beings, justifying horrific evils by calling it righteous, deluding and deceiving our own hearts that the ways we're corrupting people are actually being blessed by God. This was the sin of the nation of Israel in the Bible. It is, in that little seed is it's always there. It was, that little seed is what's tempting the disciples. Right here in our Acts chapter 1, they now realize, man, the dude we're rolling with is actually God. Man, this guy just rose from the dead. He, he can, he's got power. And so they, they ask him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? We're an oppressed people, so now is the nation of Israel going to rule and conquer them all? Jesus just keeps teaching about his kingdom. They keep filtering his teaching through their national and ethnic kingdom desires. And that every generation has the same problem and the same temptation. We read our Bible through the filters of how, how will God just help my country or my ethnic people become rich and powerful Jesus has to remind them, no, you're not going to pick up guns to move my kingdom forward. That's how kingdoms of the world move forward. You're going to receive my spirit. You are not going to conquer all of the nations of the earth with military might. You're going to conquer the devil who is reigning in all the nations of the earth through the might of my healing and saving love. You are moving your allegiance away from your kingdom into my kingdom away from your broken cultures that desire greed and power into my culture that desires servanthood and unity. And the apostles wrestle with this for many chapters in the book of Acts. It's not until chapter 15 do they work out the specific ways that they are not going to tell people that you have to be Jewish in order to, to have Jesus. They work out that clarity and that self-awareness of their own culture and their own cultural blinders, and it's a messy process. It always will be messy. It's always messy because every culture has something of God that's unique. And we need every culture to be their culture because they bring a unique perspective of God. But the problem is, is when we realize that and then, then we forget that every culture has brokenness and sin and we need to carry our unique image of God in a humble perspective as we cross cultures and learn how to piece it together versus one culture dominating the other. Are you following me? We wish it was just this simple kind of black and white easy process, but we're complicated and broken as human beings. We're messy when we're trying to build unity, and that affects how we represent Jesus, sadly. But followers of Jesus, we persevere in working it out in humble ways so that the culture of Jesus and his kingdom becomes more and more clear. This colonization that happened, most of it, you know, is just not, there's nothing representing the kingdom of God. They thought they were, but then when you look at that history, you actually find small little um, uh, lights 
in the midst of that great darkness, where you realize that in the midst of horrible evil, God was redeeming in the moment, and He's still redeeming all of that horrible evil. You realize that there were actually authentic disciples of Jesus who came from Europe who were true ambassadors to Jesus, who both shared and taught the whole gospel, and also did everything they could to stand against the cruel oppression of their political, military, and sometimes even religious leaders. I want you to listen to the words of a Spanish-Dominican friar, Antonio de Montesinos. This is on a Sunday before Christmas. You know how Christmas, it's like the time when we all get happy and everything. This is a Sunday before Christmas. This is in 1511. It's on the island of what we now call Dominican Republic and Haiti. We love the Dominican Republic and Haiti, uh, which is one of the first of the, uh, of the land that was conquered. And he's in a straw-thatched uh, church, and he condemns the current Spanish conquest of the indigenous people. And I, I got this out of a book that some of you recommend to me that I've loved called Brown Church. He said, this is his sermon. In order to make your sins against the Indians known to you, I have come upon this pulpit. I, who who am a voice of Christ, crying in the wilderness of this island, and therefore it behooves you to listen, not with careless attention, but with all your heart and sense, so that you may hear it. For this is going to be the strangest voice that you've ever heard, the harshest and hardest and most awful and most dangerous that you've ever expected to hear. This voice says that you are in mortal sin, that you live and die in it for the cruelty, the cruelty and the tyranny, the tyranny you use in dealing with these innocent people. Tell me, by what right or justice of you keep this Indians in such a cruel and horrible servitude? On what authority have you waged a detestable war against these people who dwelt quietly and peacefully on their own land? Are these not men? Are you not bound to love them as you love yourselves? Mm. You can probably imagine Montesino's sermons didn't hit teachable ears and he got a firestorm of persecution, including an accusation of treason. He kept preaching. And there are many more disciples of Jesus that display the incredible light and love of Jesus in the midst of a very dark time in human history. God abhors his name to be used for evil. Those that do, they will face grave consequences if they do not repent. But not only does God punish those who use his name for evil, but then he redeems and raises up his true disciples, both from outside and inside the cultures that uh, have been exploited. Um, The rise of the African-American church is one of the most incredible testimonies to God's redeeming work and glories there. Slave owners would give them a partial Bible. They ripped out everything in the Bible that would tell the slaves that they shouldn't be slaves and they were empowered. They didn't want them to see that. And yet the slaves, that God met them there and, and uh, built his church from the inside there. The rise of the brown movement of church and revivals in many of the Americas is evidence of God's redemptive work and the true disciples of Jesus, both outside and inside the different cultures that are woven throughout this time. And even though there were true followers of Jesus building the true kingdom of God in this time, it's just important that we, the church, right now recognize and keep repenting of the harm in the name of God that was done on so many peoples, and especially the the still, the privileged and wealthy status that, that different countries like us have and different people have because of what happened. So where does that leave us as individuals? We as followers of Jesus have put the foundation of our life on this Bible, 
and on the spirit of Jesus that we have complete access to. We do not let professors on college campus dictate our life purpose. We do not let the corruption of history dictate our life purpose. Jesus tells us to go and share all we know about Jesus, all the ways that his death and resurrection and his teachings have transformed and continue to transform our lives. We strive not to be prideful. Our posture is simply hungry and broken people who are showing other hungry and broken people where to find food and healing. We know from the Bible that our God is the God of all cultures and of the entire world. So we go expecting to find him already there, to give people what we have of him and to receive from them what they have of him. We are on a mission to glorify the name of Jesus, to build the right reputation of Jesus, to fix and fight for the authentic truth of Jesus, whether that be liberal professors on a college campus, conservative pundits on news stations, secularists, spiritualists, relativists, religious extremists. We represent Jesus. We always go. We always cross the barriers. We always absorb the difficulties of building trust with those that are so different from us so that we can share with them the creator God who calls us all in to be a family and who works on the behalf of our ongoing unity. We don't sit around and let people keep picking up axes and falling into ditches. We go. We demonstrate. We talk. We proclaim. Pastor Stanley and I, Pastor Stanley in the Dominican Republic, a Haitian brother, we have talked so much about how all these problems and difficulties, but how in all the cities of the world, we need hundreds and thousands more authentic disciples of Jesus to move into the cities to preach and live the whole gospel of God. It doesn't matter where you're from, we need more disciples of Jesus, not less. We need more folks to live in courage and authenticity, not less. We need them to come to Los Angeles from all parts of the world, and those of us in Los Angeles need to go to all parts of the world. We need this missional focus for our city and the cities of the world. Are you with me? The last thing that I want to address today, and I appreciate you staying with me. This is the foundational talk to get into the system. We're going to get real practical as we go on here. But the last block that keeps us from really living in this is that we believe we have to work hard for God and be these kind, certain kinds of people. So therefore, only the vocational pastors and missionaries can do this work. That is not true. Twice in this big picture introduction, Acts chapter 1 we see Jesus telling very common men that they will receive his spirit. He tells them to wait for his spirit. He tells them, don't go. Don't be an ambassador with me without my spirit. Because that's when you're going to get it all screwed up. When he calls us to live for his mission, he's not using us for his work. He's working through us for his work. Meaning he's inviting us to partner with his eternal spirit. Our fragile selves, our broken selves are given the gift of his spirit. And then they testify to the world about the spirit. He tells us to go to represent him and then he gives us the power to obey that call. He is such an incredible God. When we struggle with the questions, how do I do this? What do I do to join in on the mission? What do I say? How do I represent Jesus both here and there? You know what Jesus' response would be? Pray. Start by praying and never stop praying. Pray for his spirit. Receive his spirit. See, we don't need to get stressed about coming up with the perfect strategy before we do anything. 
We don't need to make elaborate plans or receive elaborate trainings. We simply press into a lifestyle of prayer that is centered around the mission of spreading the kingdom of Jesus. We move from a life that is praying only about ourselves and our blood families to praying for Jesus to reveal himself to the people that we are around, for Jesus to break through to people that we are uh, working with, uh, seen on the streets, right? We, we pray for Jesus to reveal how I, in my career, in my job, in my stage of life, in my family situation, how can I align my life through his work in the globe? We pray for the mission to happen in us. And then over time, we receive his spirit and his wisdom and his insight, and then we act. It's a shift from moving our passions from me and mine to him and them. We do that shift through prayer. In 2008, in the city of Vallejo, the city of Vallejo was the first city in California, the major city, to ever declare bankruptcy. And that's up in the Bay Area. And that was in 2008. And this meant that the schools and the public services didn't have funds Housing values plummeted. Uh, all kinds of anxiety and sadness hit the city. So the Christians, some, gathered at the steps of City Hall to start praying for the transformation of the city. When the mayor heard about it, he came out to the steps and he told the Christians, keep praying, dedicate the city to your God. From that time of prayer, things started to turn around. One man's uh, journey sort of sums up what a lot of people were doing in Vallejo. This man was Michael Brown. I think I have a picture Here's Michael Brown. He had a small little transportation company, buses and vans, right? And he just said, okay. He had, been, he had, he had started fasting, asking God these questions. And that he, I want you to listen to these questions. Do you ever ask these questions? God, does what I do every day when I go to work, does it actually matter? Is it in line with your mission? Well, God started to answer that prayer. Do you ever have that prayer? God, does what I do every day, does it actually matter? Do you actually care about this? Is it a part of your mission? God started to answer that prayer through this citywide prayer movement. As he's praying with other people for his city, he realized, God was saying, he realized, I just need to start seeing myself as a minister of God and stop seeing just the pastors as a minister of God. So when I go over to work, to work every day, I'm a pastor. I represent Jesus. It's Right? He's like, that's right, it's all disciples of Jesus who are priests, the scripture says, and pastors who stand between heaven and this world and we bring the, the power of heaven to this world and we bring the world to the power of heaven. That's the definition of a priest and a pastor. Stand between two worlds, bring each of them together, right? And so he realized he needed to bring righteousness, peace, joy to the marketplace, right? That, that his little company is a ministry. So... He just started, he started, uh, some of his, his little team, got, it was, they said it was a little weird. He just comes in one day, calls me, and he says, from now on, Jesus is the CEO. I'm sorry, the Father is the CEO. Jesus is something, and the Holy Spirit is something, the three, you know, his things. And they were like, that was a little weird, but then things started changing real fast for our company. Um, he started praying every day when he went to work. Praying, God, use my company to, uh, to uh, make your mission go forward. He prayed for the people he worked with. What, he started getting ideas. He, started, he called out the superintendent of the school district and said, hey, I will give you more bus lines for free right now. We'll figure it out later, but don't worry about it. In fact, by the time this was over, the superintendent of the district praised publicly Michael Brown and one other pastor saying that in this time of bankruptcy when they had no money, when she called any of these two men, they would always respond, they would always help. 
They both had the attitude of the school districts, hey, we're now responsible for your success, and whatever you need, you call upon us. We'll help you get there. We're going to take it personal that these schools still function. That's being an ambassador of Jesus. He started hiring more people, especially those who were struggling, trusting God. The work started coming, right? But because he's busting more kids and stuff, he's getting to know more people around the neighborhood, and he's all of a sudden he ran against this, uh, ran up against this one young man who had uh, developed an in, he had an incurable disease. He had a short time to live, and the kid, young man, he just was so de- uh, depressed he was just destroying his life. It's like, well, it's going to die anyways. And Michael Brown said, "I want you to come over to my office, and I'm going to pray that God will heal you." The kid's like, okay. Um, and uh, he would come over, and my grandma, just sit here. Just sit here as long as you want. And we're walking back and forth. We're just going to keep praying for you as we're working all day long. And that's exactly what him and his other Christian workers did. God healed that man of the disease. Michael Brown's transportation service was more of a church than most churches have ever been. Can I get an amen there? Right? The same has been true of factories in China, underground, some hospitals I read about in certain generations, some schools, even some fast food restaurants, right? Where we're like, hey, our workplace is church. We represent Jesus. Worship team, come on up. In the uh, 1990s, 1990s, some, there was a small amount of Argentinian Christians in the country of Argentina in one city called Resistencia, which means opposition. At the time, there were only about 5,000 Christians out of a population of 400,000 in their city. And these 5,000 Christians were in 70 small churches. 68 of the Christian churches existed because of church splits. So the Christians were always dividing, and there was very few of them. The city was immersed, the 400,000 folks, they were immersed in witchcraft, They had demonic altars all over the sidewalks of the cities. There was a cult that was kind of the mainstream belief system is called Saint Death. And it was widespread over the region. Burdened by this reality, like some of these groups of Christians gathered to pray for the Spirit. For just to pray that that God would say, the city of Resistencia in Argentina, that's my mission field. And eventually, their one prayer meeting, they established what they called Houses of Light in 635 neighborhoods in their city. Places of just regular prayer. The focus was to pray for their city. And they started praying, and all of a sudden, all the miracles started showing up as they kept praying. The small group of Christians, they were used to holding these, like, church rallies where they would fast and pray, and they would see a couple healings. But now... Through these houses of light praying for the city, all these Christians were going to work praying for people, and they were hearing the miracles happening in the workplace, out in the streets. Thousands of people started giving their life to Jesus. And now today, 30 years after 635 houses of light of Christians praying for their city, now there's 100,000 Christians in a city of 400,000. From 5,000 to 100,000. Come on, church. Don't leave until you receive my spirit. I want to ask us this week, I want to ask us to begin to pray for our families, for our city. Start there. We'll get to praying for the country. We'll get to praying for the world. Would you commit 
saying, you know what? I'm going to keep praying for my needs because I'm never going to be independent of God. I'm always dependent on God. But now I'm going to add the needs of my family and the needs of the city. I'm going to particularly ask for Jesus to be glorified in people's hearts, for Jesus to show up and change people's lives, for people to know the Jesus that has changed my life. What I would like to hear, we're going to be doing this series for a couple of months. I want to hear, man, if we can get at least seven, if I can get at least seven households who will say, I will take a, we will take a day of the week, and for at least 20 minutes, we will set aside 20 minutes, and we will pray for this community, we will pray for the needs of this community, for our city, for our neighborhood, we will pray that people would know Jesus. If we could get seven households to be houses of light of prayer that cover every day of the week. I don't care what time you pray, we're not going to try this big coordinated effort, you know, we get a big Google sheet of, all right, what time, what time? Just tell me after you pray this week, tell me in the next couple of weeks, pastor, we'll be one of the houses of light. We'll take Thursday. We will make sure every Thursday that our house will stop for 20 minutes and we will pray specifically not just for our needs, but for the needs of the city that people would know Jesus. We will join our hearts in the mission of Jesus in this city. We can get more than seven and we got two families on Monday and we got three families on Wednesday. The more the better. But as we come out of this summer and our folks are coming back from vacation and getting healthy and we get in the school year, Let's not have strategies. Let's not, let's just pray. And let's let the Spirit of God lead us. Amen? Come on, let's, let's stand right now. Let's just pray right now. Let's worship and pray right now. Oh, Jesus, you're so good. You're so reliable. You work even when our, we're so messed up. You work. You will never let your light extinguish. So make our light stronger. Make our hearts stronger. God, let us give us the courage to align our lives with your mission. Give us the courage to believe that we can be a minister, a representative, an ambassador of you. Come and fill us up. Come as we sing. Give us your heart that is about those who are lost, about those who are in pain, about those who are believing a false God. Come, Lord Jesus, and let us be in sync with you. Come. We need you, Spirit.